Blog Talk Radio. All right, everybody, let's stand together. Let's take us take one of these red song books out, and let's turn to number 36, Shelter in a Time of Storm. Good to see everybody this morning. The Lord's our rock, in him we hide, the shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill be tied, the shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land. A weary land, oh Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. A shade by night, weakness by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no fuel of pride, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. The raging storms may round us feet, a shelter in the time of storm. We'll never leave our safe retreat. A shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, rock divine, all refuge near, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper, ever dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Amen. It's good to be in God's house this morning. Praise God. Good to see so many people back in God's house. Praise God. We, we, we're slowly getting back to, to, to having most everybody here, and we just praise God for that. Amen. Such a blessing, and uh, thankful for you being here this morning. I know we got prayer requests. Yeah, just go ahead and lift them up, and we'll get to them right away. Who I, I know we're going to keep on praying for him. You better believe it. Amen. Cole? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Praying hard for that. Amen. I always need to lift up our country in prayer. Yes, Miss Charlotte? Yes, ma'am. Pray for her neighbor, Winona. Anybody else who's got prayer requests? Yes, ma'am. So. Well, all right. We'll be praying about that. I know y'all are looking forward to that. Yes. Okay. Yes, well, Praise God for that. Amen. We'll lift her up in prayer. Anybody else? Yes, 
Uh, everybody's well. Everybody's back to work. Everybody's doing okay. It didn't hit them very hard at all. Praise God for that. Yes. Yes, my sister. Yeah, she's having some problems. She had some bleeding on her brain. I really don't know what it is, and they're trying to get it taken care of. Um, but it's not. She's not. It's not urgent. She just. She just discovered that, and it's a pain. She leaned over, and, and luckily her brother's a doctor, so she went went up and got evaluated. So. Uh, anybody else? Yes. All right. You lift her up in prayer as well. Others? Yes. The lady that ran uh, Taco Delight in Paris, she pa- owned it. Yeah, she passed away. I remember to pray for her, our family, rather. Um, y'all remember to pray for Grant, pray for Bonnie? I, I, I need to share this with you. We talked... We talked Wednesday night. Uh, I had been out and visited them last week, and, and had suggested to uh, to Grant what, what had been proposed about us meeting there, having Wednesday night service. And uh, he he said yes, that would be fine. But after I left, Bonnie said he just kept he kept saying to her, you know, what if something happens? What if what if this? What if that? And he finally came to the conclusion he just didn't think he could do it. He said he would love to have visitors, and he he. he he requests that you come and visit him. Uh, he just don't want a crowd there. He just doesn't feel comfortable with that right now. So, But he said, please come visit him. So I, we'll meet here Wednesday night, right. But I urge you to go visit with him. And he's, he's doing all right. When I seen him that day, he's doing, he's doing good. We sat at the breakfast table. And it was me and him and Bonnie and their daughter, and we just sat and visited for about an hour and a half. So, so please do. Please go visit him. Uh, also, just everybody else. I know lots of people going through things, and lots of people are, just need the Lord at this moment. So we're just going to keep praying for God to give them what they need. Anybody else, shall we pray? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. 
I am resolved, which means I, don't, I ain't got no more confusion about it. I've made my mind up, and I'm going to live for Jesus. Amen? I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to Nathan so glad and free, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, he is the just one, he has the words of life. So glad and free, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he's saying, do what he willeth, he is the living way.
was a fine man, one of the finest. Not because he didn't know what he was talking about. Stephen was extremely educated. But it was his message that they couldn't stand because his message nailed them to the wall. The Bible said last week it cut them in two. It split them down the middle. It tore them to pieces. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. That means he tried to destroy it. That was his mission, was to destroy the Lord's church. He made havoc of it. What would he do? Entering into every house. That don't mean he knocked. I'm sure they kicked the door in. And hailing men and women committed them to prison. That means they came in, they threw the cuffs on them, they were rough with them, they hauled them out, and they took them down and threw them in jail. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And we're going to talk about that this morning. God's outreach program. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, I come before your throne of grace. Lord, I need you this morning. Lord, I need you to pour out your spirit upon me. Father God, I've studied the word. I've got the message ready. But Father, it'll have to be you to preach it, Lord, prove me. I can't do it. I won't, it won't be a success. It won't have the desired impact, Lord, if the Holy Ghost of God is behind the wheel. Lord, I pray today that Holy Ghost of God, you take control of this vessel. Lord, that you forgive me of all my sins. You fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray you absolutely control me. Please, Lord, take control of the message. Lord, we're living in a dire hour. Lord, we're living in a late hour. We need you. We need the breath of heaven. Lord, we need clear eyes. We need a clear mind. We need a heart that's lined up with you. The Lord, a soul is stirred up to see men and women be saved. Father God, please. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Speak to us today. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all of it. Lord, because it's all because of you and all for you. And we thank you and we love you and we praise you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. In a book written in 1906, by a Christian author by the name of S.D. Gordon. He wrote a book called Quiet Talks on Service. And in this book, he, he imagined a scene taking place in heaven just after Jesus had returned from his earthly ministry, and it went something like this. The master is walking down the golden street one day, arm in arm with Angel Gabriel, talking intently, earnestly. Gabriel is saying, Master, you died for the whole world down there, did you not? Jesus answered, yes. Gabriel goes on a little further and asks, and do they all know about it? Jesus responds, oh, no. Only a few in Palestine know about it so far. To this, Gabriel says, well, Master, what's your plan? What have you done about telling the world that you died for, that you have died for them? Jesus then explains to Gabriel that he has asked Peter, James, and John, and a few others to make it the business 
of their lives to tell others. Who will tell others, who will then tell others and tell others. Until the last man in the farthest circle has heard the story of the gospel. But you see, Gabriel knows how human beings can be. And so with some hesitation, he says, yes, but suppose Peter fails. Suppose John simply does not tell others. Suppose their descendants, their successors, say way off in the 20th century, get so busy about things that they do not tell others. What then? Then the story imagines that, that to this question Jesus answers, Gabriel, I hadn't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. You and I are the Lord's vessels. We're his children, and we've experienced the saving power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for ourselves. We know how to be saved. That's God's only plan is us. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to continue to study the early days of the New Testament church, and we find this plan being put into motion to go into all the world, as he said, but God used persecution to spread the original church out. Again, why would you leave your, your home? Why would you travel way off into another country for absolutely no reason? Listen, especially if you were comfortable where you were, something has to move you. In verse 4, it says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That verse and its context speaks to us today about the importance of reaching the whole wide world with the message of the gospel. It's still got places to go. We haven't reached everybody. We haven't reached. There's people being born in Red River County. There's people being born uh, and living here in Clarksville that will grow up and not hear the gospel unless somebody tells them. And as we look this morning at the original outreach, we're going to find three things that it should not be. I want us to look this morning at the negative side. I want us to look at three things that our outreach should not be. Okay? So follow me on this. First of all, number one, our outreach should not be restrained by fear. We shouldn't hold back on God and hesitate to do what God has commanded us because we're afraid. Y'all remember that Charles Dickens book said it was the best of times and it was the worst of times? That's kind of how it was when Jesus had just ascended back to heaven. I mean, you've got to realize that, that remarkable things was going on in the church. They were seeing all kinds of miracles and seeing all kinds of growth. Remember, they were up to like 20,000 we just recently talked about. But they also saw the worst of times. They just killed Stephen, the first martyr of the church had taken place. So while all this expansion, all this growth happening, the devil's at work at the same time. So there, there, that, that would have been a shock. I mean, if you, if you got up this morning and found out if they had took Robert out and killed him because he's a Christian, we'd, we'd be shocked. We'd be shook. Absolutely, and they were. The Bible says there in verse 1, at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. I mean, it's an exciting time to be a Christian, I'm sure. 
Everything's brand new. Everything's growing. Everything's abounding. But it was a dangerous time as well. And no doubt it would have been easy for these early Christians to just hush. They could just say, you know, it's scary out there. People kill you. People hurt you. But no, we better not talk about it. We better keep our mouth shut. It would have been easy to do that because they feared for their lives. But I want you to listen to what verse 4 says. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't stop talking about it just because they were threatened. Here the first church reminds us that whatever our fears, whatever our apprehensions may be, whatever's holding us back, we must not let those things keep us from sharing the gospel with people around us. These early Christians remind us of a couple of specific fears that we have to put aside if we're going to be witnesses and share the gospel. Now listen, because I can guarantee you, there's some people in this room under the sound of my voice right now who ain't never witnessed anybody. So we're going to look at some of the things we've got to lay aside if we're going to be a faithful witness to the Lord. Number one, we've got to lay aside or overcome fears of what we might have to endure. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible introduces us again to Saul of Tarsus. And we know Saul of Tarsus is Paul the Apostle. And what a great man Paul the Apostle was. But just as great a man as Paul the Apostle was, that's how loud a man Saul of Tarsus was. Before Christ changed him on the road to Damascus, he was a horrible man. He was a terror to the church. Verse 3 says, as for Saul, he made havoc. Havoc is not a good word. Havoc and chaos go along with Right? Everything's out of control in havoc. All right? So he made havoc of the church. Entering into it. I mean, every time somebody tried to have a meeting, and he got word of it, him and some of his strong-armed thugs came down there, kicked the door in, and said, everybody's under arrest. Y'all are going to prison. Now, if they said that tonight, said anybody who meets in the town of Clarksville and church house is going to prison, I'd be anxious to see how many people we had show up. I'd be here. I'll go to prison for God. I'm not scared. And I, and I preached to them the whole way there. But, see, this caused a fear on people. You know, if we have, if we have church, if we start meeting, if we start talking about Jesus, that guy's going to come lock us up. They faced the real possibility of being arrested and imprisoned or even killed because they've seen what, they have, what happened to Stephen. There's already evidence. There's already proof of what will happen if you open your mouth and start talking about Jesus. They'll kill you. We can't keep proclaiming the gospel. No, that ain't what they did. In spite of what they might possibly endure, they just kept on witnessing. They kept on witnessing. They kept sharing what Jesus had done for them, how real it was, how personal he is them, how much he loves them, what he, what he did, how he shed his blood, how he was buried and he rose from the grave. They kept sharing it and sharing it and sharing it. Even if it meant they were chased off from their homes and they couldn't even live there anymore. They had to give up their own livelihood and everything they had. They didn't count their lives more valuable than what they had in Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? This is not a fairy tale. These are not imaginary people. These are not people that are greater than us. They are just people. 
But there are people who are filled with the Spirit of God and they realize that this old world's fading and passing away and eternal life is the only thing we've got. In our day, at least in this country, persecution of Christians is nowhere near this level that they were experiencing. But still, even so, we got a lot of Christians today who will not witness for fear of what they might endure, what something might happen to them. Some people fear being made fun of. I couldn't stand that there. Somebody making fun of me, talking ugly to me, that hurt my feelings, and I had to go on. It wasn't like they didn't mock Jesus. It wasn't like they didn't say ugly things to him or spit on him or beat him or crucify him. Yeah. And he took it all. Some people afraid they might lose friends. You know, if I start, if I start speaking of the vocal for Jesus, some of those friends, friends I've got, the old crowd I still see every now and then, it still like to see me every now and then, start poking at me a little bit. If I start really becoming an active Christian, some of them I won't have nothing to do with me anymore. And they fear that. They fear it might hurt their social status. Might hurt their career if they try to be a witness. But the reality is whatever we suffer on a small scale, whether our lives are threatened, whether uh, what happens, it doesn't matter. The message of the gospel is too important to hold it back for fear of what we might have to go through. How many of y'all know the name Adoniram Judson, missionary of the past, great missionary of the past? Went to Burma. Adoniram Judson entered the heat and hardship of the Burmese mission field for 18 years. Hear what I'm saying. For 18 years without a single convert. 18 years in Burma. Not one soul saved. His wife died while he was there. And Judson admitted he never saw a ship sail by that he didn't want to jump on board and go home. Don't blame him. He endured in Burma because he would always strengthen himself with these words. Life is short. Millions of Burmese are perishing. I am almost the only person on earth that knows their language to communicate salvation. In other words, he was God's hope that he sent there. And if he goes home, they'll be without hope. And he said, I've got to stand between the living and the dead. Whatever we might have to endure, it's worth it to communicate the saving message of Jesus Christ. We've got to put aside our fear of what we might go through, what we might have to endure. But I want you to notice also these early Christians remind us that we're to put aside something else, not only our fear of what we might endure, but fears of what we might encounter. Look at the text again. Notice verse 1. Because of the persecution... They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Everybody's being uprooted. Everybody's being kicked out of their homes. Everybody's losing everything and walking away from everything they've built their whole lives. And they're moving into new areas where they're going to meet new people that they've never met before in their lives. Verse 4 tells us as they went into these new places and met all these new people, they went preaching the word. They didn't say, well, they don't know us. 
They won't listen to us. They don't know us. They're weird over here. They don't act like we do back there. They don't. They're different. Their skin's a different color. They they got different traditions and cultures. They're different than us. They won't accept us. Nobody said that. A lot of people don't share the gospel because they're afraid of speaking to people they don't know. There's a stranger barrier there. Oh, that's a, a stranger. I can't talk to them. Well, that's, that's, that's nonsense. I can tell you right now, if you're walking down the street and you drop something, there's plenty of strangers that say, hey, you drop something there, they'll speak to you, they got no problem. You set a red light too long, they'll blow their horn to speak to you real quick. <laughs> but don't be afraid to speak, speak to strangers. The church in the book of Acts reminds us that, that new people are needy people. They're needy people that need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a whole new audience. Some of us need some new people. Really. You know why? Because we're running in the same old circle and we know everybody in it. There's no surprises. There's no invitation to give somebody the gospel because you already know if they go to church or they don't, they say, or they don't want to hear it, they say, you know, you, you know, most of them. Sometimes it's a good time to pray for God send me some new people to witness to. God put me across the path of some new people I ain't never met. Even though we don't know new people, God knows them. Understand that. God knows all about them. He's known them their whole life. They're not strangers, just to you. And even though we don't know them, guess what? Christ died for them. And it's our obligation to ignore our nerves, to overcome our fears, and to tell the old story to new people. They need to hear it. It's natural to have fears. It's natural to be apprehensive about personally sharing the gospel. It's hard to do that. I admit, it's not the easiest thing to just break the ice and start talking about it. But I'm telling you right now, we've got to do it. We've got, this. the early church reminds us, we've got to get over our fear. And don't let that fear hinder our witness. All right, then. You know, you take a soldier, he goes out onto a battlefield. He might fear getting killed in the battlefield. But he's on that battlefield, and he's in that fight. And the only way out of that fight, the only way through that fight, the only way he can fulfill his mission is to fight. And we have been put here in this day, in this time, in this hour, in this place with the gospel. And the only way through, the only way to complete our mission is to share the gospel with other people. But I want us to notice something else, number two on this. Our outreach shouldn't be restrained by our fears. Secondly, our outreach should not be relegated to a few. It shouldn't shouldn't be looked down upon. It shouldn't be made secondary. I want us to look at a couple verses here. First of all, verse 1, I want you to look here where it says, and they were all, A-L-L. They were all, that's the members of the first church, all scattered abroad. Everybody throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. They stay in Jerusalem. Now combine that 
with what we read in verse 4. So in verse 4, they're all scattered abroad, and then it says, therefore, they, were, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. So the Bible is telling us that the individual believers that made up that first New Testament church were all, A-L-L, all involved in spreading the gospel. It wasn't just the pastor. So let's look at the difference between the church in the book of Acts and the average church of today. Okay? In our day, most of the work of evangelism is left to the preacher and maybe a few people in the church who, who are zealous and got some tracks in their pockets. But it ain't the whole church usually. You, talk, you take a look at the statistics on it. The statistics will scare you to death. It's estimated that less than, listen to this, less than 2% of professed Christians are actively involved in the ministry of evangelism. Out of, out of all the people in America that are saved, less than 2% are trying to win others to Jesus. That almost sounds like to me. God's just almost pulled plug on America. That's a pretty, pretty dim, dim view. The statistic on it is 95% of professed Christians have never personally let another soul to Christ. 95%. Oh, when we get to heaven, at the judgment seat of Christ, down through the ages, I mean, listen, we're we going to go through that first church, them folks are going to get lots of crowds. Then we're going to roll on through, through Asia Minor and all them churches that Paul started, and then we're going we're gonna to get up into, into Europe and we're going to run into the, the people that we read about in that little book at the Trail of Blood, the Albigensians, the Lionists, the Donatists, the Monarchists, the Tertullians, the, the Lollygards, the, the, the Waldensians, all those people who died for their faith. The Waldensians, oh my goodness. Those people went through some of the cruelest torture in the world, all because they loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of them were put on the iron horse, if you don't know what that is. That's a spike they set you on, and it just, you sink onto it, and it kills you. They did, they did that to try to get them to denounce, denounce Christ. They wouldn't do it. Now, but I say, we go through all them time periods, all those people standing for Jesus, giving God, giving God glory, casting their crowns back at his feet, and then roll over on a period in the 21st century, and only 2% have anything to show for the Christian life. But you know, the Bible talks about that. Talks about the lukewarm Christian, lukewarm church. But you think about this too. Think about what we have today versus what they had. They had minimal resources. I mean, they were run off from their homes. They had the clothes on their back. They they, they met in borrowed facilities. There were no big church buildings anywhere. They had no technology whatsoever. They were a tiny little group when they started in Jerusalem. And yet, within a few decades, they reached into most of the known world with the gospel. You don't necessarily need man's technology. You need the Holy Ghost of God. You need power that only comes from God. When you hit your face before him and your hot breath is still down on the floor and you're saying, God, I need you. What was their secret? 
I tell you their secret. Their secret is that they understood that evangelism and outreach with the gospel should not and cannot be relegated to just a few believers in the church. They recognize that witnessing is the job of all Christians everywhere. I want to notice a couple of things that they remind us when it comes to this shared responsibility of outreach. They remind us, first of all, that every Christian is commanded to witness. The first church members, they were still close enough to the apostles and their teaching to know that just before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he said a word, and he left us his promise and command in Acts 1.8. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Now listen. They happened in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John did that in Jerusalem. And then we see that, that uh, Stephen had, had gone off into uh, in, in preaching in Judea. He's preaching to the Hellenistic Jews. And now Philip, we're going to look at right after this, is going to go off and have revival in Samaria. And you know what? You and I are still carrying on this to the uttermost parts of the world. This wasn't just a Bible verse to them. These were commands of Jesus. And they understood that it applied to every believer that believed on Christ. There wasn't no easy way to put it. If you're not actively sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not witnessing for Christ, then you're being disobedient to Christ because that's what he told us to do. You say, it hurt my toes, preacher. I'm sorry, the Bible will do that. You can come to all the services. You can give your tithe, your offering. You can teach Sunday school. You can pray every day. I mean, you can do everything that you, that you think ought to be done, but if you neglect the witness of the, uh, what Christ did in your soul, then you're missing what we're really here for. I mean, you think about this. Imagine for a minute that we're, on a, we're driving along an old country road and we come around a bend and, and oh, my goodness, the bridge is out. So we, we back up a little bit and we realize that other people are coming down that road and we get out of our car. We ought to stand there and wave everybody down and say, hey, don't go around this curve because the bridge is out. You let them cut off in the creek. Surely we'd have enough moral fiber to warn people not to drive off into a creek and crash their car and possibly get killed. But let's go a step further. Let's imagine that you're a sheriff deputy and you've been posted to stand there and stop drivers from going off into that creek. So somebody gets down there with a barricade. You're there, you and a flashlight, and your badge, and that's your job. Let's imagine you spend all your time living through your phone and your patrol car, one after another, crashes right off into the ravine. You and I have been deputized by the Lord Jesus. We've been given direct orders, and they're crashing one after another. These early Christians remind us of some things we've forgotten. Not only we're commanded to witness, but I want you to notice also that every Christian is capable of witnessing. Everybody in here is capable of being a witness. Look at verse 4 again. It says, therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. Now I want you to look at that word preaching. All right? A lot further down here. Well, actually, in verse 5, it says, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, it says, They that were scattered by when they were preaching the word, that's the same word where Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ. Now, in the original language, these two words don't come from the same word. 
The word translated preached in verse 5, where Philip did the preaching, that's the word that means to herald a message. Okay? That's what I'm doing this morning. I am doing the preaching like Philip was doing. I'm heralding a message. But the word in verse 4, which is translated preaching, is a different word, and it's translated from the Greek word that gives us our English word, evangelize. So were they down there getting up with their message, opening their Bible and preaching a message? No, they were simply sharing what Jesus had done in them. They were sharing, it literally means good message, or the messenger of good news. And when we share the gospel, what are we doing? We're sharing them the best news they could ever hear is that salvation has been bought and paid for them. And they went everywhere preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I can't do that. Let me give you an example real quick. Now, my wife just left the room. She went out in the nursery. But if somebody in here that didn't know my wife was to ask me to tell about her, I wouldn't need to attend a special class before I could talk to somebody about my wife and tell her, tell them all the qualities she has. I mean, I know her. You know how I know her? I live with her every single day. I, I, when I wake up in the morning, she's there. When I lay down to go to sleep at night, she's there. Matter of fact, she works from home now, and, I, and I'm there with her. We're, we're together all day long. I mean, I know her as well as anybody knows her, except maybe her mom and dad and her brother. But I wouldn't need a class. I wouldn't need no instructor to teach me how to talk about my wife. I'm prepared. Matter of fact, I'm prepared right now. I could tell you everything I know about her. You know why? I love her. I spend time with her every day. In the very same way, every person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, if you've been washed in his blood, then you, you spend time with him daily. You know him. You don't need extra training to tell somebody how good he is. You know what? We're all missionaries. Every single one of us is a missionary. Do you realize that? <clears throat> not only should our outreach not be restrained by fear, not only should it not be relegated to a few, I want us to notice lastly that our outreach shouldn't be restricted in its focus. Up until this point in in Acts 8, the early church had grown within the limits of the city of Jerusalem. They hadn't gone any further than that. And there were converts being added on a daily basis that had come from the population of Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8, Jesus commanded them to be witnesses not only in Jerusalem but to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. So God used this persecution and the fleeing believers that it caused to scatter the gospel witness throughout all the uh, um, beyond the city of Jerusalem in all Judea and into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. God's plan was to uproot the people and send them out. They may have looked at it and said, this is terrible. How would God allow this to happen? I don't think so. They realized. They, you know what? They, they remembered again. They remembered that they were to go into all these places. And I guess they looked around and said, well, who, who else is going to go but us? It's all we got. And then we'll tell you something, folks. We need to look around at each other and say, who else is going to go but us? 
because it's all we got. And quit relying on somebody else to do the work that God's told us to do. I'm almost done. Hang on a minute. I'm almost there. So when it comes to our outreach, number one, it should have no perimeters. They ought not be saying, well, that's far as we're going with it. We went, we went, we went to the city limits on both sides of town. We ain't going no further. We ain't, we ain't worried about Aaron Allen. We ain't worried about anybody in Bogota. We ain't worried about nobody lives in Paris or anywhere else for that matter. No, if you look on the wall both sides, you see we ain't like that. We support missions. But you know what? Having those names and those people on the wall, that's one thing. Sending them money is another, but do you pray for them? Do you pray for them faithfully? I sure would hate to think I was out there somewhere in a foreign country and I didn't know hardly anybody. I just had a few people around me, maybe two or three believers that I engaged over the years and didn't have nobody home praying for me. Well, what a sad situation that would be. We need to be praying for those and sending help to those who who have gone into all the world. We ought to give money to support them and help them. Our prayers should stretch beyond Clarksville. We ought to pray for our state. We ought to what we do. We ought to pray for our, our nation. If you're not praying for our nation, you need to begin. Because we're in dire situation, dire circumstances. Our outreach ought not have any perimeters, but also it should have no prejudice. No prejudice whatsoever. I want you to look at verse one again. It tells us that when the believers scattered <laughs> They moved into the region of Judea and Samaria. But one of those regions in particular, I'll get your attention, that was the region of Samaria. In the Gospel of John, we find out that there's a deep-seated racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. In John 4, 9, the woman at the well explained the situation to Jesus. She said, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They hated one another. There was prejudice and and racism against them. Yet in Acts chapter 8, we find the gospel being carried by these Jewish Christians into the region of Samaria. And the rest of the chapter tells about the great revival that Philip had in Samaria. Early church reminds us also that our responsibility to share the gospel overcomes Bigotry and bias. Racism and evangelism don't work together. Again, as I was talking about before, during Sunday school, you know, I didn't get to pick where I went. They told me where to go. If I could have chosen any place, it would have been probably Paris, Texas, because that's where I was burdened about. But they said, no, the ghetto side of Shreveport needs the gospel, and that's where you're going. And I, I didn't necessarily want to go. I was actually kind of, I was kind of hurt a little bit about it because they didn't, they didn't ask me what I thought or how I felt about it. They just said, "That's where you're going. You're getting on that bus. You're riding with that bus captain. You can get after it. Go with your soul." Okay. I ain't thinking about starting a church in Shreveport. I was thinking about going to Paris to start a church. Y'all don't know what you're doing. Well, I tell you what, God knew what He was doing. God put me over there in that community. And you know what? I started walking in the streets in a suit and tie, and I started walking. And I thought, yeah, I just wore a tie back then. But I used to walk, I walked in the streets in, in a white shirt and a tie, and, and gospel tracks in my pockets. And I and I stopped little black boys on bicycles, and I stood there and witnessed them on the side of the road. Or I talked to 
couple of prostitutes hanging out on the corner, or I talked to a drug dealer, or I talked to somebody sitting up on their front porch. I mean, I talked to people everywhere. And when a single one of them whined, but you know what? That didn't bother me one bit. It didn't bother Jesus one bit either. I, I, I saw tons of people, and I say tons, that's not like I'm bragging. I saw a, a God save a lot of people over the course of that year I spent in Shreveport. Not just not just by using me, but by using other brothers in the that were in that same church with me. Many people came to Christ and still are coming to Christ as a result of that ministry. But Jesus didn't die for any particular region. Jesus didn't die for any particular race. He didn't die for any particular class or any particular color. People that share the gospel are to be colorblind. We're supposed to share the gospel with people who are like us, and we're supposed to share the gospel with people who are totally opposite from us. We got a witness to the upper class, and we got a witness to the lower class. And I'm going to tell you something that whether you know it or not, but you'll get a whole lot better response on the lower end than you will on the upper. We 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 spent a month in Paris. We'd gone to every 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 uh, low rent section eight housing, every place that we could go to. And I said, you know what? Let's go out north of town. Let's go to Oak Creek. That was the big new division out there. Let's go out there to Oak Creek. Let's go witness to those folks. Got told to get out of people's driveways. We don't need y'all down here. We go to such and such a church. Why are y'all over here? There's other places where y'all can go with that. That's kind of responsible. Never got a thank God y'all come over in our neighborhood. You see, when people got everything they need, they ain't got no room for Jesus. But we're not to deny them the gospel. Everybody needs it. Listen, you shouldn't say, well, that guy's got a lot of money. He can't hurt you with his money. He's going to die without that money. He's going to split hell wide open without that money. You better tell him, for he lets that money be his God all the way to his grave. We're the witness to people that ain't got no class. The lowdown, scum of the earth, nobody wants to fool with. I'm going to tell you, God says to condescend to men of low estate. Paul said, I've become all things to all men, that I might by any means save some. He means I'll get right down on their level, get my fingernails dirty, and, 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 and have, to, have to almost talk their language to reach them, but I'll reach them. So does the gospel have a target audience? Does it have a target audience? Yes. Sinners. Sinners. That's the target audience. You know what? We don't care who they are. We don't care how much money they make. We don't care what color they are. We don't care where they live. Don't care what they do for a living. Don't care what their reputation is. None of that matters. All that matters is is that they need Jesus. There's a song in a songbook, and I want to close you out with this one chorus from it, which sums it up. Call me sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of 
will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. We just need to say to him, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come on. We're to be witnesses. But, folks, we must have the power of the Holy Ghost of God. And so I urge you this morning, if you don't feel like you've got the power of God on you to be an effective witness, hit your knees and bear God for that power. The clock is ticking down. I mean, listen, a blind man could see today that this world is grinding down to the end. Listen, we're closer than we've ever been. But we don't know how much time to live. People are going to perish forever. We're standing right there at the bend of the curve. Are we going to flag them down? Are we going to tell them? Are we going to let them go on? It's up to me and you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing number 209. Father, I pray this morning. Lord, work on hearts. Somebody here this morning you're dealing with, I pray, Lord, that, Father, you didn't bring them to, to in, in conviction today, Lord, to a decision that they need you, they need your power, that they're willing to humble themselves and, and confess their sins and, Ask for feeling, ask for the control of the Holy Ghost of God that they might be a spiritual witness, that souls might be saved, that lives might be changed, that this church might be filled with people who are, who are born again and new in the Spirit of God and eager for the Word of God. Lord God, we can have revival when it's going to take your people. Lord God, please send power upon us today. Bless us in the face of Jesus' name. Amen. Two old